Welcome to the Tassie Athlete Podcast. My name's Dominic, I'm your host and the founder of TA. In today's chat, we hear from Andy Allison, who's an avid runner, loves culture, and opens up on his journey with mindfulness and mental health. The famous Andy Allison, thanks for joining us here today. Obviously, very appreciative to have you on. I'm honoured to be here. Yeah, I, like I was saying off air, I, I'm not sure if it's particularly warranted, but I'm, I'm really happy to, to help support the Tassie Athlete if I can. No, definitely. And um, we'll touch on it shortly but as i said off air as well you're one of the the subliminal drivers behind mm. the tassie athlete i i have a particular interest in your relationship i think it is with with practicing mindfulness or mm-hmm. getting into a really good place mentally and obviously your journey with your own mental health so i'm looking forward to, to touching on that as we go through but look at the end of the day you are a very accomplished runner i'll, I'll Asterisk cyclist as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, definitely it feels like it's all in the past, but I hope not. Look, there are some things coming up this year that might might get me back, but yeah, it feels like that's all in the past at the moment. But yeah, I still enjoy it. You've got some incredible achievements to your name, and as per our show notes, something else that I want to talk about is is your influence on some of the other runners, not only here in Hobart, but um, the way that you've sort of instigated groups almost wherever you go. I'm looking forward to touching on that. But before we dive in, could you perhaps start just with a bit of an overview of of how you got into running? Yeah, okay. Um, It was very late. Um, I I guess I'd run, I'd always played a lot of sports growing up, but they were more like racket sports, badminton and tennis, which I played to, oh, tennis I wasn't that good at, I did get a scholarship once, um, but badminton I played a lot of and I represented the state a couple of times and I was on a, I was on an Olympic, um, the Sydney 2000 Olympic progression squad when I was a kid, but it was just something I was good at and some of my family played. It wasn't because I loved it that much. Um, I didn't know this. That's, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to, yeah, I went to the, um, the AAS in, in Adelaide for it when I was about 15 or so. And um, so I could always run a bit because I did a beep test there and it was like 40 odd degrees and um, I beat everybody there. Like I didn't know what running was. I just kept going until everybody else stopped and thought that would be enough. Um, but that, that finished pretty quick. I stopped when I was about 17 or 18, perhaps. And then I took up – what did I take up next? I took up soccer next because I had a mate who, who loved football. And um, so I got into that and started playing indoor soccer. And then I started playing um, – northern premier league soccer for riverside olympic um i was pretty loose i didn't know really what i was doing and i was a pretty loose kid at that age as well um so that was a bit of fun and then i moved to another team called the northern rangers and then managed to get into the senior team there played a bit of state league um um and then but i was working hospitality at the time and it was a really hard balance to to get to training a couple of nights a week and then working late fridays and saturdays and having to play saturday and I was because I was quite small um, and I played in the wing a lot. I used to get kicked a lot, and so I was always limping around and sore and banged up, getting really banged up. And it just, well, I loved it and I loved that team aspect of it. Um, it just it wasn't very compatible. And so then, what did I take up? Um, my dad was into golf, so I decided to take up golf. Yeah. But this was when I was sort of late twenties, and then I sort of got semi good at golf. Like I got down to about eight. Um, I forgot about the golf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always actually been intrigued with this. Yeah, so I played. From. I played yeah. a lot of golf um, through my late twenties, and then I started working at all aerobics at the gym as a personal trainer. So I was keeping pretty fit, and I would take like spin classes and and gym classes and that kind of thing. And then I started taking 
the um, like the brick classes, the bike and run interval classes. So I had a little good little crew there that I created, and then I had a running group that I used to take from there. I did a bit of work with Hanny Olston back in the day with Find Your Feet, taking her run squad. So I could always run, but I didn't really do much with it until I think it was um, we got married in 2009 and went on a honeymoon and I came back and my boss at the time, Terry Moore, who was a very accomplished um, triathlete in his day and a very good runner, said, oh, you should come and, you should come and uh, do this uh, fun run on the weekend. And I was like, oh, okay. So that was the Glenorchy Classic. So that would have been, yeah, 2009, I think. So I hadn't, hadn't trained, hadn't run or anything like that and just turned up, had no idea what to do, just ran. And I ran, what did I run, like 35 and a half minutes, I think, for the 10K That's finished in the top 10. And, and um, Terry, had, I beat Terry. And I don't <laughs> think he was expecting that. And uh, it was a very quiet car ride on the, on, the, on the way home because Terry's a very proud man and he's a very good athlete. And so I don't think he was expecting that. And I was like, oh, that, that's I think that's pretty good, and people were saying that's that's really good, and I was like, oh, maybe I should um, maybe I should train. So I just did a bit of research and made myself a program and just started running. And I remember distinctly the first time I went to the pipeline, and I just went up for a run. I probably had like a hydration belt on me, like cough runs around with now that we. <laughs> Did you have the jam didn't, sandwiches? Didn't as have well? any jam sandwiches though. No, just the drinks. Um, and I just set out and just started running up the pipeline. Didn't know what I was doing. Just ran and then just ran all the way to the gates and. I was running back down. I just, I just got this big burst of euphoria, like that, what they call the runner's high, which is maybe real, maybe not, but I felt like I was just like, it was incredible. And, um, I got back and I'd run over 20k and that was the first time I'd ever done that. And then I, um, trained myself up for, oh, what was it? Would have been the Taz Mountain Champs, I think. And so I went up there and, um, just turned up, didn't know what to do. And I won that, um, which was kind of fun. And then, I went to Freysenay Challenge in a team and and uh, won one of the days there, I think. Um, so that was really exciting. I just thought, how great's running? And then I, I think I ended up getting, uh, who did I, I think I joined Hags Group for a little bit, remember? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah like yeah, totally not what I should have been doing. You know, <laughs> like all these amazing eight and 1500 runners, but it was great just to be with a group. I'd never been on a track before. I had no idea what I was doing and I was way off the back, but that was fun for a while. And then I, right, yeah. then I joined um, Pacey's group because yep. I thought that would be a bit more specific. And Pacey, Pacey got me pretty fit. And then a year after I ran my first run at Glenorchy Classic, I, I won it the next year um, in like 32 low. And that was an incredible um, experience. I never thought I'd ever do anything like that. Like 30, I remember I had running mates when I was younger, um, like professional triathlete Joe Gamble, I he does a lot of Ironman. I remember him when I was younger. He'd run like 34 or 35 minutes at Bernie, and I thought, that's ridiculous. That's fine, How yeah. is somebody running that fast? Yeah. And then I'd run, yeah, 32 out of nowhere, and it was just like, wow, this is great. And so it just sort of kept going from there, and then I moved to, to Kimbo. So I trained with Kimbo and Jen for ages. Um, so I was never in a big group, but um, I just came to keep progressing. I think I want to state. Half marathon champs had a Cabri and um, the 10K road champs I won as well. So, yeah, I had a lot of success in a very short period of time, which was, yeah, incredible. It's just more than I could ever have dreamed of, yeah. Do you think that that falling into running is a bit of a common thing here in Tassie where you sort of you dip the toe into it, whether it's do a fun run, realise this is actually not bad? Mm. I think I'm, I'm just trying to get maybe because we are such a small close-knit community down here the people that you mentioned hanny hags 
Mike Kimbo. Mm. Like they're all two degrees of separation away from you. Sort and very of accessible, I think, as yes, well. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, it was very easy to just fall into that group. It was like, yeah, yeah, of course, you can come and train with us. And I think that that friendliness really helped. And I think the fact that the depth down here, you know, wasn't particularly strong. And so I had a lot of success yeah. out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, when, and if you have success at something, you're more likely to stick with it and continue on with it. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I want to take a little step back. Yep. Thinking about Every, I'm going to say every elite preparation to a fun run now. Mm. Do you miss that little bit of naivety in terms of, you mentioned with that first Glenorchy Classic, just uh, walking I, up to a fun run, no, probably not even doing a warm-up, not worrying about what you're wearing, just jumping I, straight I would have warmed up. Uh, the first one or the second one? The first one. Oh, the very first, first one. I wouldn't one. have warmed up. Yeah. yeah no, I would have just jumped in there. I would have just uh, have had a... A pair of shorts and a singlet that I used at the gym or something like that. I would have been wearing probably heavy shoes, like a pair of old Brooks or something like yeah, that, yeah. and had no idea what I was doing and just started running and I just ran as fast as I could until I couldn't anymore. Do you think that as a community we've lost a little bit of that fun when it comes to fun runs? Oh, fun runs, 100%. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed that by when I've been in a couple um, – when I've been injured, like just like at Cadbury at the start of last year, mm-hmm. I jumped in and I was trying to help a mate break 90 for the first time and I'd only just had a quarter zone shot. So I'd only just started running about a week or so before and I still wasn't even sure if I could run 21K. But And and that was just so much fun being back in that middle of the pack, just seeing how, how hard it is for a lot of people as well, um, but in a different way to how we feel at the front and, and just the joy that they're getting from it as well because they don't have as much pressure on themselves. Like I was chatting to a lot of people and they would chat back and they were just really enjoying the process, probably more so than... We tend to enjoy, I think, the end result a little bit more at at the higher end level rather than the actual fulfillment the or the actual the journey yeah. of it yeah. yeah yeah i think that's right definitely what i was sort of tapping into I, I know even personally it's people are always like oh you go for a run to clear your head but i think as you know between the two of us that have run for quite a long time now you know sometimes as, as bad as this is when i'm running i it's to run to a time or mm. it's to get first place as opposed to as you said running for the enjoyment or um, running just to yeah to, to clear the head or just to get out of the house for a little bit yeah and i think i got worse at that as i went along for sure i used to put a lot of pressure on myself to um to hit a certain time um and even if i'd got very close to it like within a couple of seconds of what i was aiming for i would still be disappointed um and yeah, that, that that carried with me for a couple of years, I think, and it's something I certainly do regret. Um, you know, I probably didn't race anywhere near as well as I could have done, I think. And that was mental, for sure. It sounds like you've had a bit of a, a journey with the mental side of, mm-hmm. of, I guess, both in running and, and out of running. And mm-hmm. before jumping into that, I, I do want to touch on your cycling as well, because oh, yeah. I've mentioned it with a few podcast guests now, but having recently picked up the bike, by no means in the same capacity as, as I think we were flicking through the Strava comms the other day, and you still feature quite quite heavily across yeah, a few no, of the cycling crazy. ones, yeah. which uh, we'll have to do something about at some stage. Well, that was um, that's the same as my running. Like it was just I got a bike, I got a bike and started riding, and that was it. Like, and I didn't know about KOMs and things like that. I just used to go and ride. And because I was riding with Kimbo and Hados and all those boys who were super strong, I used to just have to hang on. And by hanging on, I got stronger. And then um, 
Yeah, that came about, cycling came about because my body just got too broken from, um, from running. Like I just got these, um, I had a lot of neural problems on my left hand side that just made running almost impossible. And so I was like, oh, well, let's go find something else to do because I always needed something, a challenge. And so picked up a bike and just started riding, didn't know what I was doing with that either. But then I took that to, to Melbourne and the cycling community in Melbourne is just huge. It was really, really strong. I mean, running's coming back a lot more over there, but when I was there, yeah, running wasn't anything. Like, um, But cycling was huge and that's how I met. That's how I sort of got into the community, like as in made made friends and things in Melbourne. Um, it all happened that one day. I'd organised with one guy who I'd met at Bike Gallery. Bike Gallery was this great shop up in Hawthorne um, that I used to do some rides with. Um, really cool shop, great gear, nice guys. And so I used to go and join them for some rides. Met a guy there and he said, oh, I'm going to go out to Mount Dandenong on the weekend um, and go go ride up um, uh, Donabwang. And I was like, oh, or not not the Dandenong, that to Donabwang. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, I'll come and... So he took me out there and then we met two other guys out there, um, Simon Atkinson and Angus Thompson, who are now a couple of my best mates. And like we just rode up the mountain together that day and um, I dropped them, of course. And, um, and they were like, like accomplished cyclists and I was like, who's this joke? <laughs> and I just thought it was fun. I just, you know, because I've got a very high pain threshold. So I, was, I just rode up to the top and like it was like a huge climb. It's like about 20 kilometres or something. It's awesome. Um, but then... Through that, um, I realised from Strava that Simon lived around the corner from me, so he and I became great mates. And like I was at his wedding last year, and Angus um, and his wife Anna, uh, some of my closest friends, they were just down a couple of weeks ago, and we catch up with them all the time. So I think it was more about community yeah, um, yeah. than the exercise. Yeah, well, I've only heard stories about the St Kilda Road sort of. Uh Early morning runs, and yeah. yeah, I feel like the cycling community is uh, a very, as you said, it, it doesn't. It's obviously about the cycling, but yeah. I hear you can rock up at five a.m., five thirty, six six thirty, sort of thing in that St Kilda area. There'll be bunches going, yeah, and it's it's all. And what I think I kind of liked about it was that everybody was in good kit, like everybody looked good, and I like that as well. I like I like looking good. I like having. Um, nice kit nice bike um, you'd stop for coffee you know so it was very it was very community based as well you like you used to ride hard not quite as hard as the boys in Tassie but um, uh, yeah there was it was just a great way to to spend time with each other and everybody's so busy in Melbourne yeah. that you would go out you know you'd be up at five or six o'clock most mornings to do it but then you would you would ride hard for an hour and a half and you'd stop and you'd have coffee and a chat and then everybody would head off to work and yeah. that was it. So, yeah, it was a really good way of meeting people and, and getting involved in the community over there. It's almost like a little bit of a, an underground. It's like you sort of walk past a fellow cyclist on the street and you oh. both have this shared like, yeah. hey, what's up? Like, you might see the sock tan or you might yeah. see that they've got a, a slightly higher sock on or something like that and you just know that they're a cyclist and... Yeah, or they're carrying a musette or something like that. Yeah. It's definitely that underground sort of thing. Yeah. I think, and look, we were even chatting about this at dinner last night that a fellow athlete, Nathan Moore, he said that if he had his time again, he would have done cycling because he was more, good. more seriously, yeah, well, he purely was... just because of the exposure, the fact yeah. that we talk about you know, Scotty Bowden soon to, to go off to France to yeah. compete numerous international trips and you just get supported isn't the right word, but yeah, the exposure and as you said, the gear the fact that you you know have a, a corporate business being the named partner yep. of a cycling team Which is, is never so- happening never happening in running no, no no and i'm interested do you do you think 
this is an off-the-cuff question, but do you think that is a place for it in running not so much the, the travel etc because it's obviously a bit of a different landscape and and there's not the same sort of multi-day events in running as there is in cycling but you're sitting here in your, your hunter top today and yep. look i'm not as familiar with the hunter crew as you are but it's obviously a great community and they're, they're doing some unreal things in, in the media space but also yep. obviously on the ground there in victoria yep. so do you think there is more of a are we slowly getting towards either at an elite or a communal level of of more team-based running think of ntc as yep. well yeah yeah look i think there, there is a place for it 100 percent. but you know i mean you look at countries like japan and like america i mean i know they have the populations for it and they started a long time ago but and and running is getting it is getting better like when i when i started running again in melbourne um, maybe my last year there i went back to running I, I was training by myself most of the time there weren't these groups hunter hadn't been born yet um if you wanted to go and run with a group you paid for it um yeah. like the crosby crew and things like that um you know it was all very formal and and not quite as inclusive but I, I don't think um and down here there just isn't the population for it you know we have our we, ha- we have our sunday crew here and there's a couple of other little groups like the the knockoff run crew that you guys run with the running edge crew um but they're all yeah and they are community based i guess anybody can turn up to those but in terms of like sponsorship yeah i just can't see businesses backing it i I just don't know we just don't have the exposure i mean everybody gets excited in australia about athletics you know every two to four years like you know com games but all that all they care about is like the gold meters the 200 meters and if you're not winning gold medals then you're you're not an athlete whereas some of our most elite athletes in all of australia are just making finals and things like that well that that's going to change though with well i think with like people like stewie and 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 people like that who are now really on the world stage and competing but He's probably only just getting by as well, you know. Yeah. You know, and he's yeah. he's probably one of the most elite athletes in in the country across any sport. Um, and yeah, I, I would imagine he's just just making by. I would think, you know, he's he's doing his teaching degree as well. You know, I think he's very grounded, Stewie. So he realizes he's not doing this forever. That you know, he has to have a fallback. But then you look at somebody like Scotty who and like Nathan Earl are able to you know still live here in Tassie and still be able to ride professionally which is I mean and they're both great athletes but there are probably some runners in Tassie who are as equally good yeah, at their sport yes, yep. but there's no way that they're um <laughs> they're getting packed off to go and ride in France and getting paid I mean I know it's not gonna it's it's not like I've spoken to Nathan before it's not it's not amazing like even when he was with Team Sky you know you know you just you're just a worker and you know you, you're not living in a big fancy house in monaco or anything like that you were just um just getting by but you know still a great experience it is a changing landscape i think but yeah i've just always always been intrigued about this yeah not so much the team but just just the backing and that that exposure i feel like i saw sean whip posted an instagram story yesterday about how it's not becomes almost the athlete's onus to help promote their sport and promote themselves well you look at like brady um Brady from Inside Running was tweeting out the other day. It's like, you know, we've got the biggest track race of the year coming up on Tuesday and you wouldn't even know about it. Yeah. And we follow the sport. We follow all the running accounts and, and you wouldn't even know Zatapex happening on Tuesday night. And you're saying, would it kill you to 
interview some of the guys who are and guys and girls who are going to potentially be be winning this incredible event yeah. or um you know i mean i'm not i'm not one for gambling but he was talking about how about opening up a book you know to like sports bet getting sports bet on it you can bet on everything yeah there's no betting on 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 running you know and you know if we're if we're that into the sport like you and i are and all our mates are and yet we still can't find information about the biggest track event coming up on tuesday then how's the general public meant to get into it yeah i think that that's very far i have to use the story about about my mum who in lieu of asking how i used to run it in the club every weekend wouldn't have anything to do with athletics and she came to watch me do an 800 at a briggs meet one year and as you know that her and my sister were in the stands and um henry frayne was actually right. jumping mm. um obviously an incredibly talented athlete and he jumped and, and ever since then if i ever go to a, a national athletics meet mum always says oh was that henry frayne guy jumping i remember we watched him while we were waiting for you mm. and yeah purely just because of that exposure yeah. and that, that it doesn't story, take much does it no someone that that is not athletically inclined at all knew about about this left of field athlete who wasn't even in the same event as her son sort of thing. Yeah. So I think I think that's a very good point just in terms of, of the the exposure and the storytelling, how how important that is. But we're a long way away, aren't we? I mean, it, it is getting better, but and like we've got live streams now, like Athletics Exclusive are doing a great job. Yeah, and like the Blackstown is it Blacktown up in New South Wales who, yep. you know, stream their meets and like, you know, they're doing it off their own bat. They're not getting paid for it. They're not getting sponsors for it. Um and but that's where we're at you know a live stream on facebook yeah you know, that's, that's that's where we're at at the moment at is, the moment isn't it yeah, yeah which is pretty sad yeah oh, look i don't want to delve too far down this path mm. but yeah, i'm also interested in as you said there is sort of that that disconnect between exposure but the other thing with my sort of background it, it keeps coming up and particularly with the tassie athlete it's you know in, in a, a private matter it's something that i'm really interested in is that you've got local businesses here in, mm-hmm. in Tassie or in Australia that are paying $10,000 for content for, for you know, everyone talks about the power of video and power of marketing and, and $10,000 is just plucked out of the air. But for the future of the Tassie athlete, I'd almost love to say, look, we've got Ben Covington. You're a business that is looking to gain exposure. How can we pair the two? Cov needs financial support. Mm. You need awareness for your business. How can we pair the two? That way you're getting some exposure and some free marketing through through Ben, who's doing XYZ fun runs every single year, mm. plus has a growing social media presence sort of thing. Yeah, I just feel like there's, like I said, you've got businesses engaging videographers and marketers with big budgets to do things that perhaps miss the mark, mm. whereas you've also got these athletes that are, doing well on you know as you said someone like yourself you know you're winning major fun runs here in tassie so i'm I'm interested as you said there's still such a long way to go but i feel like can we learn some lessons from cycling perhaps in terms of is there again this is my Mm long-term ambition and why i hassle you at least once every couple of months about tassie athlete gear but i love what the running edge does in terms of they've got that team kit so i remember we did bernie 10 a few years ago and and um all the, the girls that were there on the start line just rocked out their running edge, nice sort of running kits. And yeah. that's something that I've always yeah been interested in as well. Just as you said, everyone does their sort of separate thing, but is there the opportunity to sort of come together on race day and say, mm. look, you're running for, for Team TA? Yeah, I mean, you, you look at Hunter and how well they do it. You know, but their, their, um, their main goal isn't around 
performing at an, an elite yeah. high level, yeah. it, it starts at the community first. They're all about the recreational side and the community side of running first. And then the running is secondary. They don't care how you perform at an event. They just care that you're showing up and you're representing their community yeah. and you're acting in the right way. That yeah. you, you know, they have a no dickheads policy at their yeah. training sessions, which is still open to everyone yeah. and they're mental. Like yeah. They're getting 100 people at, at um, um, what's it called, down at, near the Lexus Centre, what used to be old track there, down by yeah. the Green Melbourne, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. on a four-lane track or whatever. Like, it's chaos. And high profile too. I remember seeing yeah. Adam Tomlinson. Yeah, they get, they get proper athletes joining yeah. them as well. But, yeah. you know, you've got everybody there from elite athletes to people running six-minute Ks. So it's not important about how fast you run. Yeah. It's just important that you're, you've got the right attitude that you take running as it comes, like a, as a recreational sport that you love to do, but you also don't forget the recreational side of it, that you're there to enjoy yourself as well. And you'll see that they're all coming down, a big group coming down for Cabri, yep. Cabri Marathon, and you'll see the um, what, they'll, what they'll do to the event. They'll lift the event up. Yeah. It's almost like such an inverse relationship, is it? It's mm. not instead of forcing this culture or this branding in a way on people, it's like, well, no, mm. you, you know, you unassumingly you know you come on this journey with us but then those same people are actually proud as you said you're sitting here in the hunter gear today oh, why isn't it yeah so like it's just instead of it's almost like that that chicken in the egg in a way and then mm. you just develop a really good culture and a really good platform for these people to achieve their goals big or small and then they actually come along along for the ride yeah and i think if you're doing that right like they, they get the backing like you know nike does support them in that you know i mean and it's not just about looking good you know it's just yeah. that they see that they're doing something good for the for the running community and it's great exposure for the brand as well like i said i think it's something we could perhaps even do mm. a separate podcast on and maybe get a few other guys on board. So mm. I'll make a note of that and perhaps we can yep. chat about this even after Zatapec yep. next week as well. But when I was talking to you before about um, you being one of the drivers behind the Tassie Athlete in a completely roundabout way. I've obviously known you for a little a little while now and something in lieu of your, your running and riding ambitions that I've always been drawn to has been your approach to to upstairs to to mental health and to obviously looking after your body but also looking after your mind as well well they're so connected aren't they they are yeah they are like i, I mentioned to you before the, the podcast that we recorded the other day with annie was she she really opened up about her journey with mental health and yeah she said exactly the same thing that look at the end of the day if you want your body to perform it at that level that your mind also needs to be in check and yeah it's everything it's your body it's your gut like your gut's connected to your brain like it's a big driver as well so you know you've got to be holistically you've got to be well i think yeah to to perform well definitely before starting the tassie athlete mm -hmm. i just had this this needle in a haystack that i wanted to to get out and that was just talking to people that inspire me and, and obviously like i said you're running and, and you're riding and you golf um, <laughs> <laughs> are things that i look up to and, and love that we share those that, that journey as well but yeah in particular it was just individual aspects and this is where the themes from the tassie athlete came from was that instead of just profiling the stories which is really great and obviously we want to get those out there but i almost i wanted it to be that it was actually external to athletics completely but i wanted it to be that i wanted to come up with this online journal that was like someone can read andy allison's article mm -hmm. and learn about mindfulness because that's an aspect of you that i really valued and i feel like other people can share and i talked about one of our other friends and and his journey as a vegan as well and how that was 
purely look after health as opposed to as well as that activism sort of thing. So the reason that, yeah, I'm really humbled to have you on today is, is to talk about your approach to mindfulness. And that's, you know, I feel like it's quite a loaded term these days. Yeah, it is, it yeah. can mean a yeah. lot of things, but I think we're definitely on the same page. But before delving into that, I think it's probably important in, in whatever capacity you feel comfortable to talk about your journey with, with mental health. Mm-hmm. And I guess another thing that really interests me is that it is running relevant, but it's also external to that as well in terms of your lifestyle. We were speaking just before about even the consumption of coffee mm. um, and how that plays a role in, in your life and, and in the headspace as well. So is there a particular moment, a sort of time frame that, that you really remember just sort of being much more clued into the importance of, of being healthy upstairs as well, I guess? Well, I, I guess I'd I sort of had not really ongoing, but I'd had um, episodes of, of mental illness since I was about probably 18, I think. And I had a really acute um period there when I was from about 18 to 20 but then I was mostly okay and and occasionally it would just sort of creep back Um, and so I I realized that I needed to find something to sort of protect myself from that and it's just like training the body you need to train your mind to to cope with with illness you know because that's all it is it is just an illness and we have a we have a very negative stigma around mental illness and mental health you know we're okay if somebody's sick all the time they've got a cold all the time or a flu all the time it's probably because they're they're not sleeping enough and they're not probably eating the right foods and all that kind of stuff but um mental illness is still so important as well and it's it's something we don't talk about enough i don't think it's getting better and better and like you have things like the movember movement which give um men a really great platform to to talk about it and what probably feels like a more safe space um but yeah i realize that in order to to keep it at bay you know i would need to put things in place to to help with my with my sleep with my outlook um yeah and and balancing those moods a little bit yeah as you said you know you sort of that, that 18 to 20 sort of period things are obviously quite quite new in terms of this hey what's what's this experience that you're mm. going through mm. completely over to you but what did that look like for you was it anxiety just in terms of no that was that was major depression so that was yeah. um yeah that was like couldn't get out of bed couldn't move couldn't do anything kind of kind of thing um you know seeing seeing a health professional yep. at least once or twice a week and having therapy and being on a lot of medication and that kind of thing. It was pretty, yeah, it was pretty bad at the time. It's not something I could have, I wasn't really in a position to understand it yep. either at that age. You yeah. know, you just yeah. go from being, I went from being, you know, pretty happy and relaxed, um, you know, and um, had a few few slightly traumatic events happen, but um, I wasn't really thinking that they would affect me um, in the long term. But then... Um, it just became every, every day just seemed to become a little bit harder. It was sort of just sort of crept up on me. It was like, I was, I was looking for work and I was doing some, um, some voluntary work and getting some work experience and I just found it really hard to get out of bed and it just seemed to get a little bit worse. And then, and, and then it just got really bad that, yeah, I wasn't really doing much at all. I wasn't, I wasn't seeing family. I wasn't, um, I was I think I'd moved out of home by that stage as well so I was living in a house by myself pretty much and just getting a little a little a little miserable and um yeah probably not eating very well um and um didn't have a a a real drive like I wasn't at school and I wasn't working much and so I think it just and it took a took a long time to get over um but what 
what did help me was I, I started exercising. Yeah, I decided to just stop taking all the medication against the doctor's advice and just started exercising a bit, just started doing some gym work and then I'd go out for a bit of a jog now and then and and then I um, managed to pick up a job up at the casino and started working up there and then I picked up a second job and so I was working two jobs and it just sort of seemed to turn around. Yeah, so that sort of had to come within, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think um, as we spoke about off off air before there is that particularly through the Movember movement at the moment like the, and asking are you okay that, mm. that's such a, an important thing at the moment but what I find really inspirational isn't the right word but, but yeah is that, that it did come off your own bat as well you know essentially this was you saying I need to do something about the way that I feel mm. and um, the yeah, exercise was one aspect of that but yeah you're also a big I guess advocate you're the one that, that got me onto the Headspace app as well which I you know use weekly and I know you use almost daily as well yeah I've been using that for a couple of years and that was really helpful for me just to have um some really a really dedicated practice like a, a real um a guide to to doing something every day and committing to it and because I I like committing to things and I like numbers and things like that you know it gives you it tells you how many days in a row you've done it so you want <laughs> yes, to keep up yeah. with it and then yeah. it just becomes a normal part of practice and I find when I've been using it for a while then I, I almost don't need to do the to use it as much what I use I, I tend to have more try to have more mindful moments during the day where I catch myself and stop for it might only be 30 seconds but just being aware of what's happening around me and like um headspace have this great thing on that the the box breathing i don't know if you've seen that before no, they have a okay. if you go onto their instagram you'll see the video and it's pretty much it's just a box with their little logo and it tells you to breathe in for four seconds you. and yeah. you go along one side of the box and you hold that breath for four seconds you go down one side of the box you breathe out for four seconds and then you hold it for four seconds around a box. So anybody can do that in any space, no matter how stressed they are, no matter where they are, if they're on a bus, if they're in an office, if they're in the bathroom, you've got 16 seconds to reset. And I find those mindful moments tend to help me a little bit more rather than doing dedicated practice. But in saying that, I have just set a, a new reminder on my Headspace app to to get me back into that habit again before going into uni because yeah. I know it's more important when I'm at uni that I have those de-stressing moments and maybe if I get back into that practice but I also do other things like yoga like yeah, yoga is yeah. mindfulness yeah. you know because you're pretty much doing the same sort of thing but you're moving um, and so I, I'm, I'm doing more of that more physical things like that rather than sitting down and meditating a whole heap at the moment I think that's a really insightful but important thing as well I know that quite often as you said you, you, you've got exercise and you've got mindfulness you've got yoga is that we can sort of pigeonhole ourselves into just having one release and that that might actually be relying on someone else whereas yeah. what I really value is the fact that you almost got this toolkit of strategies that yes. are based on sort of timing or location as you said you could be on the bus and I'm sure people would enjoy it but yoga is probably not appropriate no. on the bus no. so then that's when you can use the mindfulness Oh. But I find I can do that, like, because I'm cross-training a lot at the moment, like, I can do that in the pool. Like, the pool has become a, a mindfulness place for me. Like, when I'm breathing, I'm really concentrating on my breath in the water and, and staying relaxed and, and, you know, so you can find it. You can find it anywhere. But I think if you are doing nothing at the moment and you are struggling with your mental health, then the, the app is a really great place to start. 
because it gives you all the basics and, and gets you into a habit. And I think you, you need to form that habit first before you can start branching off and, and looking for it elsewhere. I really liked what you said before as well, as you mentioned, you know, you, you restarting uni again for the year and the fact that you can get a little bit off track because of yes. other external factors in your life. But again, there's so many strategies out there, but having the app there, it's almost just like the platform. That's mm. the base that yeah. you can go back to and know that this is this is you know ground zero again for me and it's a really good place and you can build from there as opposed to just everything sort of blowing up and then scratching your head like where do i start becoming overwhelmed i guess in a way so. absolutely i mean we we find so much time or we allocate so much time to doing useless things in our life like scrolling through our social media feeds for how however long you do you know um we, we always find time to to exercise you know so we're looking after our body um which is really really good up to a point i think um, for your mental health, I think you can exercise too much and get and get too tired, and and then it starts to have a negative effect. I think, and sometimes I'm guilty of that, especially when I'm cross training at the moment because none of it hurts like running does, and so I can do huge hours of of swimming and cycling and gym and not be particularly sore, and I can overdo it. And I, I just catch myself. I know when I'm getting a little bit crabby and a little bit short. I just it's like oh. And I'll have a look back at my week and it's like, oh, I've probably just slightly overdone it a little bit this week. And so I'll have a I'll have a day off or something like that. So it's just catching yourself and knowing knowing where your baseline is, I think, as well. Um, but there's certainly a lot of time in the day that we can allocate to our mental health. And it's just like training. You just gotta you've gotta train that 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 um that muscle, I guess. You know, and I know going into uni, which is always gonna be stressful, no matter, you know, I mean, if you care about something. You're going to put a lot of effort into it, and I do, sometimes a little bit too much, and I'm getting better at managing that every year. This is my final year, and so I'm going into into this final year of uni, and I want to be in the best possible place I can be. And so um, a little bit more mindfulness leading into that will certainly help me, I think. I also love what you said before because something that I have, have – I'm certainly not in the, the same appreciation or the place I always aspire to, as you said, you know, get to using the Headspace app once a day. I think that's, I know deep down that's where I want to be. But um, as I mentioned before, like, there have been a couple of times, particularly on the longer rides, where, yeah, starting to get into the hurt locker a little bit or even just, you know, where at the halfway point in a 100k ride, I'm just like, I cannot be bothered mm. getting back. But I, I remember we and Andy Goyne and I rode out to Possum Bay and there was this distinct place where we just coming back through Lauderdale and I was just like counted from one to seven yeah. and then just repeated that. And like I said, I think that was just such a moment of clarity. So I really like that you said it. it doesn't, whilst it is really good to take some time out of the day to, to practice mindfulness and headspace, but you can actually use your sport, almost tapping back into what we said before about finding that, that fun or that enjoyment. Sport doesn't have to be this, have to be a hundred percent every single time. I think finding that mindfulness, whether it's putting the watch away or not logging this run on Strava or something like that is also incredibly powerful in terms of just even if it's a little one percenter that can yeah. kickstart you know really just working on that headspace yeah it's funny you talk about the watch I was made to take that off last year uh, my GP made me take it off because uh, when I was um, I had a really acute period of um, anxiety last year that lasted for six or seven months I think it's it, well it's 
acute but lasted for a long yeah. time but it, it was acute and it was while i was in it it didn't feel like it was just a it felt like i was something i was stuck in forever um but one of the things i was noticing was my heart rate was increasing all the time my resting heart rate was starting to as i was getting more and more stressed sleeping less and less like i didn't sleep through the night for five months i think and that weighs on you like they say you don't have good night's sleep for two or three nights you start to get into mental health issues i know you're, you're not a great sleeper either um but you know you know and so i just let that go too far before i reached out yeah. for help to 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 put an end to it and it just it it physically manifested in my body so the anxiety went from being just a bit stressed and not sleeping very much to having these waking during the night um with these incredible chest pains and and felt like somebody was sitting on me and i would be awake for hours yeah. i'd have to get up and i was watching lots of tv and um i'd eat snacks or do some mindfulness to try to break myself out of it and then go back to bed for a few hours and then that transferred into my day and it was just getting ridiculous like i couldn't exercise properly my heart rate would go through the roof like my i, I was sometimes my heart rate wouldn't get below 70 or 80 resting like you know it used to be in the 40s and that started stressing me out so the gp was like get that freaking watch off your, <laughs> off your off your arm and stop worrying about all the data like you know okay it is high at the moment and yes you are going through a, an acute period of stress so let's try to reduce that noise and that's been great for me and i don't wear it anymore yeah. the only time i put it on is like um maybe when i'm going cycling yeah. or if i'm doing a session downstairs on the indoor trainer just so i know for time and heart rate and so i train to heart rate um sometimes i wear it in the pool sometimes i don't but the rest of the day i wouldn't have a clue like i used to get so obsessed with how many steps i was doing and how many calories i was burning every day and all that kind of stuff and just getting really obsessed with it and um and that's something I've realized that I'm getting a lot more relaxed to what I've taken the last couple of months. I've taken to time to just not worry about everything quite as much, like not set myself so many targets. Like I'm, I used to just set so many unrealistic targets I, I would have to hit, whether it was like study or, you know, housework and dinner and training and all that kind of stuff. And it all just seemed to get too heavy, I think. And I'm in a much better space now Um and it wasn't a cute period. It, it's yeah. it just I went from I went from not being able to sleep and having multiple um, panic attacks or anxiety attacks a day, like to the point where I couldn't even get up and cook dinner. Like it was getting absolutely ridiculous. And like poor Lindsay didn't know what to do as well. My wife and like I didn't know what to do. It just felt like it was never ending. And I was on that much medication, you know, to sleep, to get up, yeah. to you know, Valium multiple times a day, just to just to just to exist to function yeah. just not even functioning just to exist like yeah. i couldn't do anything yeah. and like um so of course i wasn't able to train properly because i'd go out and try to run and uh, my heart rate had hit 180 you know because i was just so stressed and i couldn't breathe properly in my chest and it was ridiculous and then you put that on top of the my buggered hip and my bad knee and exercise just became a real chore and so i just had to stop and i just took a few weeks off and just went right well, i'm not exercising at all because it's obviously gone to that tipping point where i was doing too much exercise um on top of the study and the lack of sleep and i just wasn't willing to to give like you know something had to give but i wasn't willing to to let one of those pillars down like it was like okay well i've got to keep studying because i've got to get my degree um and 
what I realize now, what I'll do going forward this year is that when I'm in that really heavy phase of uni and stress and things like that, I will reduce my exercise rather than just pushing on and thinking that I have to still run those 90 to 100k weeks and I still have to hit every box or tick every box and, and do everything. So I don't write lists anymore. I used to write heaps of lists all the time about what I wanted to achieve for the day and try to tick them off. And now I don't even, I don't plan my exercise like, um, I was being coached by Josh at Run to PB. That's on hold at the moment because you can't coach me because I can't run. So <laughs> and I know how to cross train. So now it's just like every day I wake up and I have a bit of a plan of what I might want to do. Um, but if I don't, if I don't achieve any of it, it's not a hassle. It's just like okay, I'll catch up, catch it up tomorrow. If I don't feel like swimming really hard, like I went out to Glenorchy yesterday and I had planned to do a session, I got in the water. I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to chill and I just swam easy and then put the belt on and ran easy and just sort of enjoyed being out in the sunshine so i'm more willing to make adaptions whereas before i was so rigid and that was really not good for my mental health but then we got to a period sorry this is long but um just before christmas the week before lonnie everything just clicked i went from having yeah, multiple attacks on the saturday anxiety attacks to i went out and rode with the boys on their long run on Sunday and I could breathe properly and yeah. felt like I could exercise naturally. And then Monday I was back into my GP and I was like, I feel like a new person. It was like it was like my head had just been cleaned out and I had all this clarity. It was so strange, like that I'd gone from being totally hopeless on the Saturday to I felt like a new human on the Monday. Yeah. And we don't know what it was. We don't know if it was like... Um, the mindfulness, or I don't know, it was the backing off of the exercise, putting less pressure on myself. Um, I don't, we don't know what it was. The medication, um, but none of them seemed to work because they were all sort of anti-anxiety medication. And I wasn't really suffering from anxiety. I, I just had this acute period of uh, manifesting as anxiety. So that's why none of the medication worked because I wasn't actually suffering from anxiety. I didn't feel... I wasn't upset about anything. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't feeling particularly stressed or anxious about anything. But every day, um, like clockwork, I would have these attacks and, and then they just went away and I haven't felt anything since. And, yeah, it's quite remarkable how the brain works and how oh, strong it is. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. I was just sitting here thinking before you mentioned about your initial journey with, with mental illness and how, as you said, it, it just you woke up one day and it was sort of you noticed it was there but it was sort of a combination of smaller things that yeah. perhaps built up to to that feeling whereas i think in today's society it's like it's obviously so prevalent but we want that instant fix whether it is medication but it sort of sounds like that recognition but then also that you know daily small things it doesn't have to be this this massive you know you don't have to go and punish yourself no. every single day but this this small daily contribution to working on both your mental and physical health mm. is perhaps what what helped get you over the line on that monday when as you said it yeah and it, and then i think i'd had a i think later that week i'd i had an appointment with a psychologist who i hadn't seen for like four or five months so i hadn't seen since this had all kicked off i don't know why don't know why I'd stopped seeing him because he was quite helpful. Um, I, I, I was just in a really weird space, I guess, and didn't think he could help me. You know, when you're in it, you just think like nothing can help you, nothing can save you. And then I'd seen him and I'd started feeling good, and he was like, and but my heart rate was still a bit funny. It was still, I was still noticing it, and it was still quite high. And he said, right, yeah, well, what you need to do because he does sports psychology as well. He's like, right, and he's an athlete himself, so he understood. He's like, because I was like, every time I go out to exercise. I, I start stressing about it 
and I start worrying about everything, every feeling. Oh, why am I breathing so heavy? Why is my heart rate so high? He said, Radio, you need to realize that you have a choice. And this I've forgotten this, that you have a choice in, in your life. You have a choice and a, you have a decision. And so what he said, you have a choice in exercising. So what I want you to do is go home, put your heart rate monitor, get on the indoor trainer, and I want you to do a like a 10-minute warm-up, and then I want you to stand up out of the saddle and cycle as hard as you can for a minute and see what happens. And my heart rate went up, and then it sat back down, and it came back down. And he's like, you have the choice to – you choose to make your body feel like that. And I'd over those four or five months, I'd, I felt like I didn't have that choice, that my heart rate was just doing what it wanted and my body was feeling terrible. Whereas we as athletes have a choice – to make ourselves uncomfortable and I had to get used to being comfortable with that again and I'd forgotten how to be uncomfortable which was one of my probably one of my best attributes as a runner was being really uncomfortable like I wasn't the most talented at all but I could I could withstand I could I could hurt (laughs) and withstand when most people would just give up and so that was something so simple that to remember that we always have choice and and that I, I chose to to do that session on the bike and and I felt amazing. And I was like, oh yeah, I can make my heart rate go up to 180 and then sit back down and it comes back down again. And then from there, yeah, I haven't looked back. Yeah. Yeah. And even though I can't run, I come in a much better place because I think I've had acceptance that I can't run and I'm at peace with that now. Whereas before it was always worrying about being injured. And I was out on the bike with the, the the group. We had about a dozen of us, and we had some of the kids there as well, like Xander and um, Hags's young boy, Alex. So we've got a real big mix and all the other boys, and I'm riding along with them, and they're asking me how my injury is, you know, because they, they just see me as being injured because I often <laughs> seem to be. And I was like, well, I'm not injured. I just have a, I just have a, a dysfunctional hip. Like I'm training 13 to 14 hours a week at the moment you know, in the pool and bike and I can do everything in the gym. I just I just choose not to run at the moment because running doesn't bring me joy because yeah. it's so uncomfortable. And I, I don't think they realised just how much work I had to do when I was running just to go and run with them. Like I was on a lot of anti-inflammatories. I would have to do a lot of activation. I would be in, in fairly high levels of pain just going for a jog, but I was getting it done because I was a runner and I wanted to be part of the group and I wanted to still try and achieve things. But it was really good for me because I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not actually injured at the moment. Um, I've just got a, a hip that is degenerative and, you know, it won't get better. And they were like, they were kind of shocked. They were like, didn't realize that it was like that. And it was like, well, it's not going to get better until I have medical intervention, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm always going to be you know, <laughs> yeah. injured as yeah. they thought. But it was nice for me to have that realisation that I'm not injured and then because that then takes away some of that blame and guilt that I – have I done the wrong thing again? Have I have I done something wrong in my training? Which I knew I hadn't. It was just that this is the body I have at the moment and so now I'm at peace with that body because it still lets me do a lot of other great things like I can swim and I can water run I can cycle and I can go to the gym and still do all that great stuff. And so I'm just putting my energy into being better at those things at the moment rather than trying to be better at running because that's just impossible. I'm sure there's a lot of terms that could be used, but courage sort of is, is coming through to me at the moment where I can speak personally as well, but it just sounds like just you having the courage to be like, look, 
I, I want to be a runner, but at, at this time in my life, mm. running isn't working for me. It's, no. it's probably caused me a little bit more stress than than benefit. So the fact that you've actually, you know, you, you went through that period of trying to butt your head up against the brick wall, but you sort of got to that moment through your own mindfulness practice but through the help of others that sort of said look i'm gonna have the courage to say running isn't working for me at the moment therefore i'm gonna just shelve it you know still still be involved in that way that you are and like i said i, I remember mate you i think it's two years ago I, I lined up he's in the 800 final and mentally and physically i was just done like uh, i i yeah, I was, I was just, just not there. I shouldn't have towed the start line. I remember you, you pulled me aside before the race. I said, like, Dom, are you okay? You, you look, yeah. you look trash. And I, I was like, I'm the first. You look so thin and you look so tired. And I just yeah. recognized myself when I had, when I had the reds, yeah. when I had that relative energy deficiency syndrome. I can, I can see it in people now. And I think a, a lot of guys actually suffer from it. Like I hear, I listen to so many podcasts of like, Jack Rayner and I was listening to Kyle Merber yesterday who had sacral stress fractures and the only, that's what I had, um, yeah. two sacral stress fractures. The only reason you're breaking those is because you're, you're not eating enough yeah. and you're, you've depleted your body of all the calcium that's ripping out of your bones yeah. and so you break your sacrum. It's, it's one of the strongest bones in the body and we're breaking it as runners quite regularly. Yeah. And we're only 60 kilos, so yeah. how are we, yeah, how are we doing that? Yeah. So something doesn't add up there and I just saw that in you and I was just like, uh, you just didn't look like you should be doing what you were doing yeah. I, I think yeah having having reviewed it look there was some other stresses as well mm. just in terms of relationships and stuff yep. but i was at that butting the head against the wall stage where running is my identity yeah, and therefore a, i have to do oh, it so. that's 100 percent right identity that's who i was known as i was a, i was a runner and it took me and even it's been i know you like you had a couple of notes about you know, going from where I where I was to where I am now in the group. You know, I used to be the, you know, pretty much the best runner in my group. You know, and I was running really well, and and now having to come to terms with the fact that I am, you know, near the back end of the the group at the moment because um, that's where I'm at. But I'm more at peace with that now. Whereas I got touches, I got a sort of last year i got back to running well a couple of times yeah. before my hip just went again and i got that little taste that i thought i might be able to do this again to a to compete to a high level and i still haven't totally given it up but i am going to have to have surgery before that before that happens um but now i'm more at peace with it because I, I feel like i can i can help in other ways with the group like i'm not going to be the fastest runner but i can use my experience of where i was and the mistakes that i made and um nutrition and and yeah mindfulness and looking after your health and longevity and and realizing that running isn't everything like we do love it but you've got to take time out from it as well yeah, yeah. and not be obsessed with it so i think that's my role in the group now they call me the captain of the the group because i keep that that sunday long run chat yep. group going i'm always trying to even though i'm not running at the moment i'm still trying to organize where we have the runs and get everybody to to meet and all that kind of stuff so i feel like i'm part of that group still even without running something that i really want to do well, when we get a few more articles is almost come up with this graphic i'm a bit of a lover of of graphics as well and just mapping out the relationships between the themes so it's really fascinating that, that you've said this uh, and like i said i'm exactly the same in a, a different outcome but we both love running mm. at the end of the day due to external factors like uh, that after that state chance i was like yep running's not working for me yep. 
at work it was this you know like i said a few small other factors but i was just i felt so guilty because i had to work whereas i saw nath i saw cov out there absolutely smashing it out mm. and it was just that downward spiral yeah. like it eats you alive but just to your point about courage and about being okay that you're not going to make the olympics like that was the thing i'm like if i had the smooth run like i i've would want to be an 800 meter olympic yeah. runner like, yeah. but the podcast that we did with with Joel Mason is exactly the sort of same topic where you know, him and I both shared the story of both wanting to be Olympic high jumpers and 800 meter runners respectively. But now we're still involved in the sport, mm. but in a completely different way. Him with his sports science background and, and you know, my love for photography and, and media and sharing these stories. And yeah, I think it, it does just take that courage to say, I'm okay with this. As yep. you just said about being the captain of that group. Look, you, you know, you get the hip right. I have no doubt that you'll be back winning the fun runs again and in in whatever capacity that is but i think a lot of people who are struggling yeah that there's such a valuable lesson there just to be like look it is okay to, to step away and yeah. whether that's for yeah. a year or yeah. whether that's permanently having the courage to do that i know ellen elson retired um hmm. yesterday or this oh, week really? and obviously a long instagram post with that but a lot of people were just so supportive because i can't i haven't followed ella's story too closely but it was just that obviously that realization for her that she's she's done the achievements she sort of had that head up against the wall the last few years to get back into it hasn't happened but she's okay with that now she can sort of move on and and do the rest of her life yeah it can take a a while to get to that even though i wasn't at a particularly high level but you still you have your own goals and i i think um if I didn't run another race now, I'd still be happy with what I achieved, I think. Um, although I still feel like I can run faster. Yeah, <laughs> I know, it's still... No, definitely. Even though I'm, like I'm t- turning 42 this year, I, don't, I think the only thing that is holding me back is not my fitness or capacity. It's just the capacity of this hip to function like a, like a normal person. Yeah. Do, do you think, and perhaps this is some post-justification from me, but this is how I feel. Yep, ideally you'd be running 120-odd K a week and that would be good. But do you feel like you get the hip operated on? You've gone through such resilience through through this. You've learned so much about yourself and what works. I almost feel like if, if you can get things back together, and the same with me, I'm just like if I can get a you know good couple of seasons i feel like you'll almost be stronger on the other side if, if you did have that linear progression look it, it would be great but you learn so much about yourself and about what works and what doesn't whether it's a longevity point of view like your time in the sport or whether it is a performance base i, I almost just sitting here listening to you it's like i i hope nothing more now that you can obviously string things back together and because you've gone through these these downs you've developed resilience you know now what what really works almost like you take that one step back to take the two steps forward if you can string it together yeah i've still got no doubt like if, I, if the hip operation goes well um which i'm hoping it does i've had a friend who's had this who put me onto this um guy in sydney that i'm i'm currently in the process of first of all i'm getting the knee um, checked out because that went last year because of my hip um, when COVID hit um, and I wasn't able to get to the gym and I wasn't able to have massage and do all those things that sort of help keep the hip working functionally enough that I could still run because um, um, I was running really well like I was I was back to running like 
you know, sub 34 minutes in tempos and things like that. Yeah, uh, you know, and, right. and so I was, and this is less than a year ago. So it's not like I'm a has-been yet, but the body just wouldn't let me keep going. So I'm putting things in place. So I'll get the MRI on the knee next month, hopefully get that cleaned up. And then I'll go up to Sydney, see this guy about getting a ceramic hip put in. Um, and then you're meant to have pretty good results from that. Andy Murray's had two of them put in this exact same procedure. He's yeah. back playing tennis full time. They put a bit more pressure on the hips than what runners do. So I'm fairly confident that I, I can, but I, it's not going to be the end of the world if I can't. I just want to be able to get back to running. And if I can then compete, then that'll be a bonus. A bonus, yeah. yeah. yeah People so are freaking out. They're saying, oh, my God, you're only 40. What are you getting a hip replacement for? And it's like, well, I want to use my body yeah. while I've still got the drive and the energy. And I don't feel like I'm 40. One forty-two. Like yeah. I don't feel like I'm that old. Um, I'm still plenty fit enough to do it. And I feel like while I'm young enough, why wait till fifty and I can't do anything? Yeah. Like why not get it done now and enjoy the next ten years of being an athlete still? Yeah. yeah. The thing that stands out for me, though, mate, is that you. you it's obviously been a journey, but mm. right now, as of today, at least, you know, you so, you've got that acceptance. Mm. But it's not just I'm going to shun the sport completely. As you said, you know, you're on the bike helping out Nath yesterday, having a chat with the younger boys. So yep. I think you've still got that involvement and that influence. Yeah, it's not that capacity that, you know, you probably want to be at, but it's not you're still contributing to the sport in a different way. And, yeah. and if the ducks line up, then, yeah, it'll it'll be obviously onwards and upwards for you. But as I said, I really love that that influence that you've had both in the local group down here in Tassie and obviously when you went over to Melbourne as well and I know that the Hunter crew over there really appreciate your insight and and influence and and you've been a a big driver of that as well. You also had a a big part to play in in the Movember campaign this year down Mm -hmm. here which was in conjunction with with Hunter and, and the Mo Bros and you managed to round up I think it was 60-odd people. Yeah. I can't remember the, the exact number of it. Yeah, 60 people, people to, to don their best flannies for the Flano run yep. um, in November 2020. Can it you was, tell me a little yeah. bit about how that came about? And it was. It was a great spectacle uh, yeah. and it was obviously a good event. Okay. So I was doing November. I was in a really bad spot mentally. And so instead of just doing what I'd done the last couple of years for – I think this was my that was my third year – Instead of just posting pictures of me growing a mo, um, last year I decided to. I did more like sort of little video, little vodcast, just sort of telling people where I was at. And like sometimes I'd be out exercising and it wasn't going very well, and I was feeling terrible and I wasn't sleeping. And so I, I voiced that and um, I made sure or I encouraged people to check in on other people and not not just the. You know, I mean, it's great that they had that Are You OK campaign, but it is a little flawed because it needs to go further than that. And that's what Movember is all about. And um, it's about taking, make, asking that second question, that third question, you know, really checking with people. And so I made a really concerted effort during the month to call people. So I was calling people most days, even though I was in a bad spot, I would just call somebody else and, and check in on them and far out I found out some crazy stuff you know from mates of mine in Melbourne who I hadn't spoken to for a year and like we'd message and stuff like that but nothing had come out in those messages to let me know what was going on in their lives and that was shocking as well to to think that I knew them so well and we knew each other so well and we knew we were there for each other but yet we hadn't shared our experiences and we were both just sort of struggling along by ourselves and so Kieran Ryan, who works for Movember and is one of the founding members of Hunter, um, uh, an incredible man, goes to incredible lengths to 
to support people and to raise awareness for the cause. Um, had his own issues as well, especially physically. He had a few issues and he, because of the lockdown in Melbourne, they weren't able to do their Flano 5K as they normally would. They normally get a pretty big crew, meet in Richmond, um, you know, have some beers, go for a jog, wear flannels, um, and uh, and then come together and have a bit of a chat. They weren't able to do that like they would because of the COVID lockdowns in Melbourne. So Kiz sent me a postcard in the in the mail. That's all right. Yeah, That's right. the Flano 5K, which was an invite um, to everybody in his circle, mainly the hunter crew, of doing it yourself, just doing it at home you know, or doing it um, virtually or something like that or doing it with a mate, whatever the restrictions allowed. And I don't know what it was. He didn't send anything else. There was nothing else in the envelope. There was just an, a, a thing. And I chucked, uh, chucked it up on the fridge for a day and I just went, I could probably do that. Like I'm not in a, I'm not in a great spot, but I think that's even more important to, to take that time when I'm not feeling good to, to raise more awareness. And so I just contacted... Well, I realised that um, T-Bone Brewery up in North Hobart, they normally have a big, um, a big event with the Mobros um, after Point to Pinnacle. They have the after party there and they raise a lot of money there um, and they have a uh, they have a pale ale that they donate money to every year. Every every schooner sold goes to Movember as well. And with all, we were in sort of not big lockdowns down here, but it was certainly a little bit restrained and because point to pinnacle was virtual that year they weren't able to have their after party so i i just automatically i thought oh that's a easy connection i called them and just said hey would you be interested in in having a um a bunch of us come and meet there and dress up in flannels and drink some beers and have a chat and they were like yeah great we don't open on a wednesday so would you like to come in on a wednesday night and we'll just open it up for you and then i was like yeah, great. And so then I just asked, um, Chris Price came on board um, from Hobart Performance. He's just a ripping bloke and he's got a design background. So he just, without me even asking, just whipped up a poster and he he um, advertised it heavily. And then um, and then Running Edge got involved. Um, and then we got um, knockoffs. So knock-offs. The knockoffs crew yeah. who normally run on Thursday came down and did it and... I could hardly run at the time, um, so I sort of had to taper for it. But, yeah, and we ended up having, yeah, 60 people turn up at T-Bone, all dressed up in flannels and some of the girls in fake mows. And um, we ran off, went off and did a 5K around Hobart. We had that beautiful photo that you took up on the domain. And then we ran back down and everybody just, we had a, we had a bit of a chat, like it was fairly informal, but a bit of a chat about why, why, we, why we mow. You know, just not to look silly. It is, there's a real reason that men's mental health in Australia is terrible and many men are dying from it still, which is um, really terrible. And so it was a great way of bringing the community together from all parts, like um, lots of people who I didn't know. It just grew so quickly. Like this is in a space of a week or two, I think, wasn't it? Like it, it seemed to come out of nowhere. It did. And, yeah. um, and it was just so successful and it was such a... Well, it was really challenging for me at, the, at that time because I was really um, struggling with my, my own mental health, but it, it felt like it was something really important to do and I'm so glad we did it and um, it was such great exposure and such a great fundraiser as well. As you mentioned, it, it probably wasn't the medium or the forum to have those deep and meaningful talks, but it was almost like, as you mentioned before, about yourself and your mates from Melbourne 
didn't realize that there was a lot going on behind the scenes and through talking with a few athletes that's that's been the key thing that comes out is that you have people externally someone like yourself is a great example where you know quite often when we hang out it's positive you Mm. know it's, it's upbeat but then behind the scenes you just never know what's going on and I felt like there was this elephant in the room that sort of got lifted when we did come back to to t-bone afterwards it was like yeah look we've just all been on this run together it was the platform to sort of have those conversations it was almost like everyone was sort of there acknowledging yep we're here together and it's a it's a public event but that there is more to it than than just what you see on face value and that you know almost hopefully there were some chats that went on afterwards and even meeting new people you know just that that opportunity to to have those discussions it it helped bridge the gap between zero and and what sort of needed to be done so Mm. hopefully that's just a start i i I imagine it'll be bigger and better this year um the hunter boys are even discussing coming down for it this november which would be another epic epic um, event um so it was really good yeah and i I found that what i was doing with my younger mates um on the runs i was being very honest about where i was at i wasn't hiding behind it i was i was telling them where i was at and they were pretty shocked but you know i think that helped to to for them to you know it it would give them a safe platform in the future if they were having any issues that they knew that they could talk to me or talk to one of the other guys because we do spend so much time running together side by side and that is the perfect um vessel or or, or platform to discuss these because guys aren't as good face to face like you and i are now men uh, do struggle to have these conversations face to face better side by side at a bar side by side running or cycling it is much easier to have those slightly harder conversations and you know just one conversation can can really change somebody's life and save somebody's life i mean november had a speakeasy maybe in the first or second year that i did it up at um maybe shambles i think um and some of the stories i knew a couple of guys there i'm not mates with them but i knew a couple of the guys there and and tommy windsor was there you know king of king of mobart um and he was friends with one of the guys who opened up and said that he tried to commit suicide a couple of weeks beforehand and nobody knew there was anything wrong with him, Yeah, even yeah. his best mates. And that was just like absolutely shocking that, you know, we can have people so close to us, but yet we don't find the time to, or we don't know, they could have been gone and you know, it could have been saved with a conversation. What I, I really love about running and, and particularly, as you mentioned before, about the groups, I feel like it is almost that bridge as well. Like you're spending two hours of a Sunday with mm. these blokes. And again, that, that's not the time to have those really in-depth discussions about what's going on behind the scenes or, or things like that. But I just feel like it gives you those close relationships with someone to have those chats yeah, if yeah. and when you do it does give you a better opportunity doesn't it yeah you are forming those bonds together it's so whether you have that chat there or you feel more comfortable to to chat with them at another stage or even the chance is to recognize hey look such and such isn't doesn't just don't seem they seem to be off their game at the moment therefore yeah. it gives you that capacity to reach out so it's almost like instead of going in cold turkey with a mate that you haven't spoken to in a yeah. long time that the I think it's really powerful that not just running, that all sort of sports have that, you get that little bit of extra relationship with someone or intimacy in a way with someone to be able to reach out um, or to to help them as well. So, Mm. look, I think 
as I said, you know, on the night, I think that the, the Flannery Run was an incredibly powerful event. I'm looking forward to it, to it next year. Something I wanted to tap into, you mentioned that the Hunter crew are coming down to Hobart for, for Cadbury. And I know that a few of the boys have, a few of the crew actually have done that in previous years. And yeah. you mentioned about them potentially coming down. Tassie's such a, an interesting place and and particularly through the Tasdy Athlete people speak about it so passionately Mm. you've obviously moved to Melbourne yep um, and you've returned home what is it about Tassie for you that you know that 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 made you come back I guess that's the easy option out but geez it's um it's really hard to put your finger on it I mean I, I do love the slightly slower pace down here um everybody has a little bit more time for each other I, I, I know melbourne's fun to visit um and i know you know we go for football and you go and eat and drink and things like that and especially in the past it used to be like that but I, I think things have changed in hobart quite dramatically on that front that you can do a lot of that here as well now maybe not the the footy unless you're a, a roos fan yeah. face it who is that's um, unfortunate yeah it's unfortunate so I just found the connection to people, like it's so much easier to be connected to people down here as in Melbourne. Everybody in Melbourne is so busy and so driven for the most part that there is not a lot of time. Um, although I have made some of my some of my best friends uh, are from Melbourne and we do keep in contact. But even when they come down, like they love it. It just feels like a, you know, it just feels totally different. The air feels a bit cleaner. It's just a bit easier to get around. You could, you've got the mountain, you've got the waterways. Like, it's just a really, it's a little bit more zen than Melbourne, I think. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, especially my age and older, are getting a little bit over that. Like um, The hustle and bustle. The hustle and bustle. Yeah, that, yeah you can still live a, a really high-quality life in Hobart um, without the need to to have to move to Melbourne. And what about on a, a high performance or a, an athlete capacity? You mentioned before about Scotty and, and Nathan. And do you think that we bat, bat above? And, and Stewie is a good example. Yes, he yeah. is based out of out of Victoria now with that crew that ultimately is, is from King Island. So mm. do you think that there's any limitations or any advantages of, of being here in Tassie? I, I don't think there's a, as many limitations anymore. I think maybe you do miss out on some of the access to some of those bigger groups, which could potentially um bring you up like you you know if you look at somebody like sam clifford down here i mean he could potentially benefit from being in a in a more high performance environment um i know he has a a little group up there that they run with but he could potentially be running with you know some better athletes than what he is he is probably one of the standout runners in tassie at the moment um so maybe there is a little bit of a drawback there being in a small town but also there are less distractions as well in smaller towns like especially i I find lonnie um uh seems to bring out a lot of really great athletes um because there isn't quite as much to to do and you know um so you can focus on your sport a little bit more and it is easier to get around and there are great spots to to ride and run and and do those kind of things so maybe they they do miss out on that that group effect maybe a little bit by being in a really high performance group like you would have in Melbourne if you were running over there like the Fast 8 Track Club or or MTC or something like that, you know, really being surrounded by really driven athletes. Um, maybe we can be a bit too relaxed down here perhaps. I absolutely agree. I think like you talk about access, like the fact that, you know, if you're in London, you drive 10 minutes to St. Leonard's and a bit of trouble with the council sometimes. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but you can get to that track and for the most part it's free, whereas in, in Sydney, you know, 
know, you're paying upwards of a couple of hundred dollars to access the track and yeah. things like that. So I think, yeah, there's definitely the benefits. But I know from an athletics point of view, quite often the progression, you know, was or is, yeah, really a bit sheltered and naive down here. But yeah. you go to that first nationals, you get banged up. Yeah. But then you know where the standard is from there or you make those relationships and, and that sort of does lift you. So, no, I think it's a it's a good point. But, you know, speaking to people from different sports as well, there's, it keeps coming. Actually, I, I was talking on Instagram with Will Rogers, who's Tassie's strongest man, the other day, and he just had a competition and I think he got four out of five first places. And his, his famous quote is that he loves jumping across the pond, effing S up and then coming back home. Yeah. So he actually is so proud to be Tasmania. So I yeah. think there is that element of just you put the head down here, you, you try and Stewie's a good example as well. And, uh, you know, touching on what you said before, the most humble of blokes, not to derail it, but I remember when we were in America, we, we it was actually the day that we left, we booked tickets to the pre track classic, which right. wasn't at um, Hayward Field, but um, we were just like, stuff it, you know, we, we don't leave till later that night. Let's go to the pre classic. It was, I think, an hour's drive away. Went there and she's a, I'm very fortunate that she was a, a good mate. Like we, we've always talked and in that capacity and <laughs> I was with Andy Goyne and I don't think he sort of realized that how just how down to earth Stu was. But long story short, we ended up watching Stu on the biggest stage, you know, of the world at that, that time, you know, competing on the same track as Olympians. And then Stu just flicks us a message afterwards, hey, boys, are you still here? Comes up, sits in the stands. It's like he's there in his yeah. Nike kit, sits yeah. next to us in a... I think it was like a billabong singlet and shorts. And well, I remember we walked out of the stadium and he's like, oh, I'm going back to San Fran to catch up with Hugh. Um, where we said, oh, mate, we're going that way as well. So if you want to lift, we'll give you one. And we walked out and there was a Mustang there and a minivan. We said, oh, Stu, which one do you think is our car? And he's like, oh, bugger, I've got this, you know, hour trip back in a minivan. And I pulled out the keys and unlocked the Mustang. And this bloke who's just competed in his Nike gear against Olympians, is sitting in the back, he's a tall bugger as well, yeah. for those that don't know him. He had suitcases on his side. He's there talking to the boys like, oh, I'm in a Mustang driving along, you know, driving back. And like I said, it's just that that disconnect between this is you know, Australia's best athlete at the yeah. moment for all intent and purposes. But he is, is so humble. But I know that he, when he comes back to Tassie with, you know, his family on King Island, he, he loves it. Even for the Christmas carnivals, like he's obviously competing there mm. and the crowds love him. But he just, he loves Tasmania. And yeah. I think that's... And I think that's why he competes there. Not to not to win things and he just wants to give back, I think, doesn't he? Like, uh, oh, that's the feeling I get that he yeah. just wants to, you know, go back to his roots and, and give back to Tasmania. Like so many people on the mainland try to claim him as being Victorian it's like he was born here like yeah. you know it, it doesn't change it just because he you went to boarding school somewhere else or trained somewhere else you're always Tasmanian I think we're all quite proud of that I just love the fact there is that sort of shift of coming from yes we have two heads to actually being like no you know what F you I am from Tassie and I'm yes. proud of it yeah. and I'm gonna like Stewie you know I'm gonna snub a bit of training at Falls Creek or yeah. things like that. Because he wanted to spend time with his family. Yeah, yeah. I heard that story from Wolfie the other yeah. day that, yeah, he just wanted to spend time. And and um, uh, young Bailey was up there. He's been trained by Collis. He was up at Falls for two weeks. And like Collis said, well, Stewie doesn't need to come up here. You know, he's, he's, he's good enough. Yeah. You know, he doesn't need to. Um, and I think it's it's probably that... Hum, that humble and relaxed attitude that helps him like he he never sees 
seems to be scared like running diamond legs he just goes for it like he just doesn't seem to be too worried about it because i don't think he takes his running that seriously from what i feel from him it's just something he's really good at doing and um he does it he has that love for it yeah is what is it's so it is quite unassuming having spent a bit of time with him i know you guys obviously talk as well but it's just like you have people that live eat sleep breathe the sport Mm. and then you've got Stu, who's just an anomaly and he's he's unbelievable but Mm. yeah as you said perhaps that's a strength as well so like i said I, i've i reach out to you probably too regularly and i, I will do it again just for some some help we, we talked about sort of the culture of, of things like hunter and i love the fact that you tapped into that and you've obviously i was gonna ask before not to big note yourself but i i remember i forgot about it but you've actually played some golf with some pretty high profile here in yeah. australia athletes Do yeah. you, can you just reel off a couple that you've you i was mainly the hawthorne boys um used to yeah, because I, I worked at Adidas in Melbourne, um, and I don't know what it was about. Uh, I just I didn't get overawed whenever anybody came in, like um, like because all the Bombers players came in, and for me as a Bombers fan, that was just heaven. I got to meet everyone. Like I got pretty got got much got to meet that entire. Um, <laughs> 2012, yes, 2013 crew. So that's a pretty amazing jersey that I've got in my um, in my cupboard that was signed by pretty much all those who were involved in the scandal. Um, <laughs> but I just used to, I just used to find it really enjoyable talking to them. Yeah. And um, and then I think that the the main connection that came was one day when um, Isaac Smith and um, and and Liam Shields came in from Hawthorne, came in and we were talking about shoes and, and then got on to running and they found out that I ran and then because you know, Izzy was a very good runner when he was younger yeah, yeah. and he still is like on the yeah, free yeah. And then I would tell them, you know, what I could run for things and they were like blown away. They were like, <laughs> What how can you run that fast? And and so they were they were I think they were quite comfortable because they didn't have to talk about footy. They didn't want to talk about footy. Their whole life is football from monday to sunday and i think they just found it um uh really refreshing to have somebody just talk to them like they were just normal young guys because they're just kids they were just kids at the time especially liam he was so young and um and i don't know how it happened we exchanged numbers and then liam would occasionally just come in and have coffee with me when i was at adidas i'd come out on a break and like i had hawthorne mates who were just like what the the hell is going on and then we became yeah quite good friends and then i'd go and play golf with them and jack gunston and i remember the photo luke bruce yeah yeah yeah, my um hawthorne mates just absolutely frothing (laughs) over that and it just felt quite natural they were just really down-to-earth guys and they loved the fact that i could play golf and and talk sport with them and and i did that quite a few times and then um like liam liam was probably the closest i was as close to liam than all of them and like he'd come to melbourne victory games with me and things like that i remember it was so funny Lindsay got really rattled when she met him the first time (laughs) she asked him for his autograph or something (laughs) like that and so we're just sitting in the stands with him and that was pretty cool and then he organized tickets to i think it might have been a prelim final against the cats and I was sitting there up in the Hawthorne stands, like with all the family and players and things watching the game, and then my phone's blowing up, and I'm like, what's going on? And everybody's like, are you at the footy? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. And like, are you sitting next to Suru Rioli? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, apparently, because Suru was injured, and they didn't know if he was going to play the next game, so that every time there was a break in play, the camera had pan to Cyril, Cyril. with me sitting next yeah. to him. And yeah. So it was pretty cool, like, just this um, guy from Tassie who, you know, and 
just became mates with a few of them and I got to play golf with um, David Zaharakis because we became mates and I, I met him at a fun run and I met Dyson Heppel at a fun run and you know they just love the fact that you know because they're, they're athletes yeah you know and they're, they're, they're used to being at the top of their game and then they meet somebody and I was nowhere near the top of my game, but I could still run a hell of a lot quicker than they could. And yep. so I think they respected that. And so, yeah, that was a really fun part of my my Melbourne experience was getting to meet those guys and, yeah, meet lots of really, really cool athletes like Anthony Kudafides, who I've still got I've still got his phone number. He sends me messages occasionally, always likes my Instagram stories. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. just a really friendly dude. And yeah. so, and they are just, they are just people. And I, I felt like I was always able to make that connection with people as I, as I think I, I do in my general life. Yeah. Like, and that's why I'm going into teaching because I felt like when I came back from Melbourne and worked, um, for athletics Taz going away on trips managing the, yeah. the young kids I just found like I had a really good rapport with the younger and the older kids and I thought oh maybe I could do this for a living and that's when I enrolled in in uni because I felt like I had this really strong connection with kids um that I could I felt like a big kid myself I think still so I was able to communicate with them well every time I see uh young Ollie Sims from, from the oh, yeah. Northwest. He always says, "Where's Andy?" Oh, so, yeah, lots of really great memories from those yeah, trips as well. We and did. it's great seeing those boys sort of. Um, they're all grown up now, and they're all like running. Well, they, yeah, they're running they, with me now. Yeah, like, on, yeah. like when I was running, they were running on the Sunday groups, and like in the fun runs, I, I was competing with them and things like that. It's amazing. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you have to mow them down in the last couple yeah. of hundred meters because yeah, yeah. they're yeah. ticking along quite well at the yeah, moment. Yeah, so that, so. that, that's sort of fun. I um. I think there's there's a lot to be said. We often forget with, with the bigger athletes across all sports that at the end of the day they're they're just normal blokes, like Absolutely, all, you know, normal, normal males and females. Yeah. So, but in saying that, I, I still remember the day. I think you sent me a photo of you and and Lids and Brett Deledio, and I was very. <laughs> that was really funny. Very so envious. Brett was very. Um, he, he seemed a bit standoffish to start with, and I thought, ah, oh, and because I didn't have much patience for him because he was a Richmond player as well, but I, I still helped him out. And then, and every time he came in, he got a little bit closer, and then he just became really friendly. And I, I knew from one of the guys I cycled with, um, his fiance's their fiancés were friends yeah. and so he, he they just said he's just super shy and so it came off as standoffish but then yeah he became really friendly and yeah he's not a bad bloke he is uh for those that don't know he's my number one all-time favorite richmond player yeah um, so i sent that to you pretty quick I yeah, you <laughs> probably took that photo rushed out the back yeah. <laughs> and just to, to speak volumes to lids i don't want to get off topic here but um we it was last year i think or maybe two years ago Either he retired, perhaps had a few too many red wines, and it might have even been before the the the, the finals game when it was GWS versus Richmond. I think he he didn't play in the end, yep. but he was touted to. Anyway, after a few red wines, I was with a few mates with Sam Maureen, Andy Goyne, and I actually messaged Lids, and he replied. We sent him a video actually on Instagram, mm-hmm. and, and Lids wouldn't know me from a bar of soap, yep. but he actually replied. And I was like, I remember I wrote back the next day, clearly against what you said, massive fanboy. I'm like, oh my God, Lids, thanks so much. Like, <laughs> you're the best, all the best in retirement, yada, yada. But um, just, yeah, speak, speak to all of to those guys. Like I said, we often put them on a pedestal yep. because we see them on the TV throughout winter 
Mate, the last sort of last one that I wanted to tap on again in a roundabout way, obviously appreciate your input into the Tassie athlete, but we've spoken today about the value of, of promoting sports, but promoting yourself and, and how important that is. Like, uh, yeah, really appreciated your input into the Tassie athlete so far and, and look forward to chatting about that in the future. But I'm interested, I've asked all our podcast guests this in regards to what's your experience with the Tassie athlete and, you know, you've obviously agreed to be on the show on the podcast today do you think there's benefits like what are you looking forward to in the future i guess yeah what's what's your experience been like well i was looking i was looking at it i mean it comes up in my feed all the time and it's it's so interesting like there's so many people that i i've never heard of who come up in there and they're like like i was looking at like what was it izzy flint i think the mountain biker yeah you know so she's competing nationally and internationally never heard of her yeah and i would think that'd be the same for most people you know we've got so many talented athletes like like scotty you know he rides for a you know he's riding for a national team and an international team and nathan earl was riding for sky a few years back but nobody knows him he's just a humble bloke Lives here in Hobart. He has to go smash a, a mountain ride. He has to go smash him. Yeah. <laughs> he gets hit by cars, seems like every other week, you know, but he keeps getting up and, okay. and keeps doing it for the love of it because he just loves the sport. And I do love the focus because there are stories for these people. And if more people knew about them, then, and the more people know about them, then the, the easier it's going to be for them to, to achieve their goals. It's like you've had Huey on there who's, um, who was an incredible runner and could have been anything, you know, if um, he, he he chose to, but he chose not to, and that's fine as well, but it's still a great story. Um, Sammy Field, um, who's a, you know, I just love him, just a, a great kid, and Good he's talent. chosen, he's a huge talent, and he's chosen to go back to America. Uh, it is, what, a very tumultuous time over there and in Florida. I know Tallahassee's a little bit safer than perhaps some of the places in America, mm. but he's chosen to go back there by himself to to pursue his dream because he know he wants to be a runner and he you know he wants to also get his degree and move forward with his life and that's so brave of him for a kid who's just 20 to to want to leave what is so comfortable down here with all his friends and you know all his running mates and and I rode with him about a week or so before he left and he was doing a like a long tempo out at seven mile and I had the music going because I always put the music on for the boys on the bike and he was just running these these 2k efforts and like just floating along in like three minute pace or something like that and rapping and singing the whole time and I couldn't hear his feet touch the ground yeah. it was the most phenomenal thing I've ever witnessed because I'm not the lightest person on my feet and not too many other people in the group are like that like he is a serious talent like he just felt like a, it was like he was literally floating across the ground he was I've never seen anybody move so well I was just like man this this kid could be anything, you yeah. know, and I'm I'm really proud of him that he's he's gone. And while we we're really sad to see him go, and um, you know, concerned about his safety because America is not a safe place to be at the moment. Hopefully, it's going to be getting better now. They've got a new president. And they're actually putting things in place now about COVID, and yeah, um, he he chose to do that, and I think that's a really brave thing for a young kid from Tassie to do to to choose in this um, really messed up sort of year that we're going through to to go back and be so driven to go back and train and study and and have a real crack at it yeah one of the focuses as per 
last night's post about Izzy. She um, has just signed with a new team and is yeah, right. taking part in Tour Down Under um, on oh. the road, which oh, is great. great. Yeah, she wrote her, they did day one yesterday and I was talking to her last night. She sent her a few photos and it's obviously very different at the road to the mountain bike. Well, but, that's um, how Scotty started. Yeah. He was yep. an amazing mountain bike rider and then, you know, realised that, well, I could probably, I could probably do both. Tip of the road. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did he helped him out at the Olympics. Olympics. Yeah, he did right. both. Incredible. So. Incredible. But, um, yeah. I think... Uh, the the Rock Salt Live SRAM team actually got the win in yesterday's stage. Oh, so it was, it was a part of that. But um, yeah, I think one of the things that we're really looking forward to doing this year is just almost following up with the athletes. And I actually messaged Sam yesterday to just to, he's going to send through a little video or a little a little quote just to say, yeah, I'm, I'm back in Florida and this is what we should look forward to. So I think it's it's very fitting. And I wanted to wrap things up a little bit of a different way with you. Mm-hmm. As you said, you're the captain of the sort of Hobart <laughs> crew, crew down here, and there's some very prestigious runners who in in line with the Tassie athlete sort of theme and focus who who do you think we should look out for in in 2021 yeah it's really interesting I mean you could you could choose a lot of people I mean you know you look at somebody like Nath Maury who's like a former 800 meter champ who has transitioned to the to the longer stuff now and super committed you know full-time job um you know, dog dad now as well, which keeps him pretty busy with <laughs> Fletcher, um, but still manages to, to get it done. I think he's only going to get better and better because um, he's such a strong athlete and he's so committed. Um, ben Covington, like if he gets it right, could be could be an incredible talent as well. Like his, his racing at the moment is a little up and down, but when he's on, he's really on. And I, I think if he gets a little bit more belief in himself on race day, especially in those bigger races, then I think he could be, an interesting um an interesting watch um bailey um bailey mizuki hints um he's only just joined our group like sort of late last year i think he was from a bit more of a cycling, cycling background yeah. and then he was doing some running and i think ben had come across him and then we invited him to the group and like he just feels like one of the boys now and he's been coached by collis birmingham just spent a couple of weeks in falls and i went up and rode the bike with him on tuesday and watched him do a track session and you know he could be he's only young and incredibly driven as well you know doing a double engineering and science degree you know um, still works, works part-time as well, running 140Ks a week, you know. Um, uh, really, so, he, he could be a really interesting yeah. one to look at, coming from a different background as well, hasn't really grown up from the, the running side and it's all very new to him. Like, I think he, the state 3K champs on Tuesday will be his first ever 3,000 metres, you know. And yeah, he's probably l- really a, a really good chance to contend for the win there. Like, he's just come off falls yeah. and he's in great shape. That's another one to look at, yeah. There's a few floating about and even just between those three names, let alone, as you mentioned, when you have Sammy Field and obviously, you know, yourself in there on the bike, the thing that I I really like is almost everyone brings their own strength as well as a weakness, but Mm -hmm. everyone brings their own strength, which sort of helps the group come together and Mm -hmm. almost lifts the group entirely. You mentioned with Bailey, he has that that greenness about him, so he's still enjoying the fun and obviously loves his gear and things like that, so he, he brings that that sort of fun to the group someone like Kov has that absolute consistency if there's a run or if there's a session in lieu of doing it at odd times and with a jam sandwich in toilet like you know that Kov will be there yep. and and with Nath yeah he obviously has that track background that speed background and I guess in the in the same sort of way has gone through some adversity with mm-hmm. his injuries and obviously with his work and and with some battles as well but has now come out on the other side of that just yeah a really good balance for Nath I think between not trying to force 
a square into a circle mold sort of thing, but is still doing that flexibility, but it has also achieved that consistency. So between those guys and the younger guys coming through and then people like yourself at, at that top end, obviously steering the ship, I feel like it is a yeah, ship is a good analogy where it's almost like they can fire the cannon or walk down the plank. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a really good space for that, that group to be in as well. So like I've said a few times, thanks for, for taking the time out to chat today. Obviously, incredibly appreciative. And is there anything else that you wanted to add before we sign off? I, I think we had a look a bit of a about what apps or what podcasts I'm listening to, books and things like that. I think yeah. that's another really important side of it is to I try to have a lot more time away from my phone. Like I dedicated a lot of time to Instagram during November, and it almost yeah, it just wiped me. It was terrible. I had to have a big. Um, a big time off after that I try to stay away from the phone as much as I can sometimes I post my training just if I think it's going to be of interest like what I'm doing in the pool because yeah, I know yeah, there are lots of runners that follow me who've probably been injured and don't know what to do for cross training and just don't do anything so I put that up to help but I try to read if I'm not um, if I'm not at uni like reading textbooks and I'm trying to trying to read to better myself um other podcasts I listen to, I try to. I'm not listening to as many sport ones at the moment. I find um, I still listen to Inside Running and the Run to PB Boys, um, Better with Running. Um, but I listen to things like Hidden Brain and Planet Money and Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, just to so I'm a bit more across what's actually happening in the world. And yeah. I'm really interested in in finding out why we do things as humans as well. I think so. Things that that can help you grow that are probably not connected to your sport are probably a, a really good um, outlet. I think. Yeah, it to helps. find something that's not related to your sport. I it think is really important. It helps give that little bit of, of disconnect as well. As you yeah. said, we can become a bit consumed in. Otherwise, we're just reading yeah. books. We're reading, you know, running books or watching running on yeah, tv we're talking about of, running we're yeah. listening to running podcasts like you just need a break from yeah. it like because running is great but y- y- there are more important things yeah. to be doing with your time yeah. Yeah. i think a fitting way i don't know you touched on a few just before just to, to wrap things up is is yeah what like you know if we look at, at the other side what's what is the the routine and i know it's not fixed by any means but in terms of that mindfulness like even just as, as sort of three to four recommendations for other people what what would you say in terms of the, the headspace app is a good start. Yeah, headspace point. is great. Um, yoga, um, like Down Dog, the Down Dog app, you can get that for, oh, it's next to nothing for a year subscription for that. That's incredible. Um, and you can really tailor that if you just got five or 10 minutes. Like, and we've all, we've all got that. And you, you'll feel, I, I try to do that most mornings now. Yeah. I, I find that helps with my mobility and my headspace. There's a couple of other great little tools that you can do. Um, uh, but there's a guy who wrote the happiness trap and he has a couple of really great little tools that you can do in the moment and so say if you're feeling starting to feel a bit stressed or a bit anxious you just stop for a moment and you take like three deep breaths in and out and then you look around the room and you identify five things that you can see so all you're doing is just distracting your brain and stopping for a moment and bring yourself back into your body and your world so if i'm sitting here looking at you i might go okay there's a microphone there's your coffee cup there's your laptop there's a vase of flowers and then i can see the mountain at the window and then you go okay great so you've taken 20 seconds and then you go okay what can i hear now and then you stop and you come back in you go i just heard a car i just heard a bird and there might be a dog barking or something like that and then you then you close your eyes you take it you do that same breathing technique again 
open your eyes back up and you wiggle your hands and your fingers and your toes. And like, so all of that takes about a minute. And I find that's a really great meditation tool without having to sit down and go, right, well, I've got to meditate now. And that becoming part of a, like a stress thing, like yeah. I have to meditate. Yeah. I have to get my phone out and I have to um, engage with technology. Whereas that's just something really simple you can do anywhere. You can be in your office and you're getting really stressed out with your work. You can take that, that minute to just reconnect with your breathing and i find that's that's one of those mindful moments that i talk about that i probably engage more in at the moment than structured meditation i love that one of the ones that that springs to my mind and it comes from headspace the headspace app is um they say over night time you can almost do it periodically throughout the day is then whatever time just running through the day in your head and just picking up on moments almost like you said like the fact that you took in that there's some flowers there and you sort of run through the moments of of the day that you can remember or that you sort of are Mm. present for and what i really love about that is that for the next day because you sort of know that you're just going to spend a little bit of time running through that exercise it, it makes you subconsciously be more mindful throughout the day i remember when i was doing it um quite regularly i'd be walking through town head out of the phone and it's like oh i can hear the abc roundabout fountain or you pick up on another conversation then when you are just having that downtime of the afternoon it's almost like it's the the anti you know how your phone comes up and tells you how much screen time you've had it's how much present time have you had because it's your time that you're actually present in life it increases because you are so much more aware of what's going on yeah i find that's really really helpful and i notice that when i take our dog Maggie to the park every afternoon I will while I'm down there I will stop and look up and I will notice clouds or I'll look for a a house that I haven't seen on the hill before and and listen to the cockatoos or something just so I am engaged in that moment especially when uni's back on and that is one of my stress releases is taking Maggie to the park and make sure it makes I get up from the desk and and move and be connected the other probably the last tip would be is like on most iPhones you can you can have that that night mode come on and you're going to have that that it all shuts off you know 45 minutes to an hour before you go to sleep and i mean i try to put my phone in my bedroom from um before dinner anyway and try not to to look at it again and so i think just having that disconnect away from any screen time and and read a book instead i think that's a really helpful way for me to um, get into that mode where I need to sleep, like telling my body it's time to sleep and not to be engaged. Well, mate, thank you again for your time today. Thanks, Dom. What an incredibly diverse chat where we range from cycling to golf with AFL players to the culture and team-based running as well as mental health. And again, a special thanks to Andy, not only for taking the time out to have the chat, but also for opening up on what were some obviously difficult times in his life. Andy's episode is number five in season one of the Tassie Athlete podcast. And if you haven't already listened to some of the others we've got on offer, definitely recommend the chat with Izzy where she delves into a little bit more of her experience with concussion. Thanks again for your ongoing support. We are on Patreon now, which is super exciting. Just a small way to sort of give back to the work that's being done here at TA. So if you've enjoyed any of the content, certainly invite you to jump on board. And and yeah, for the price of Less than a coffee, uh, you can show your support for the Tassie Athlete. Thanks again. We're looking forward to bringing you some more great content soon.